up, long players? Welcome to the Long Play Listening Party, the show where we go deep on local music, writing, recording, inspiration, gear, whatever else sounds good to us. I'm Howie Howard from Mr. Furious Records, joined as always by my co-host, Nate Holt. What's going on, Nate? What's up, everyone? He's waving his hands in the air for those of you on the audio podcast. I just don't care. <laughs> We're not caring. We're loose tonight. Uh, we've got guest Rob Spector in the house. What's going on, Rob? Yo, what's shaking y'all? Good to see you, Nate. Good to see you, Howie. Good to see you too. And listeners, if you uh, if you are new to us, welcome. And uh, if you go back in the archives, uh, we covered an album Rob did uh, under the name Arturo Got the Shaft called A Life Without Fireflies in one of our very early episodes, one of the first 10, I think. Um, so go back and check that out for more with Rob. He's also on our Christmas show, you know, best of the year last year. Uh, so long time friend of mine and friend of the pod. I'm good, listeners, I'm going to put uh, some music underneath the show at a very low level. We're not going to talk about it. Uh, I do have a new synthesizer album out called Only Mostly Dead under the name Night Mode, the Night Mode Collective. I will link to it in the show notes. And so that will be kind of bubbling away very low in the background just to give us some uh, context. But we are not listening to that or particularly talking about that tonight. Instead, it is great. It is great coding music. Like, thank you, sir. If you, thank you are writing software, yo, that Night Mode record, perfect. Thank you, sir. 100% um, bug-free code. <laughs> guaranteed. 100%, guaranteed. 100% bug-free code, as long as you listen to that record. That's but we're not listening to it. Instead, we're just going to talk, keep it, keep it relaxed, and we're going to start with a question, a discussion question Rob has brought to the uh, uh, festivities tonight. So, Rob, take it away. So, Nate and Howie, I know this is something that's bothered you deeply over the course of the past seven years. And I thought we might open the podcast by asking, why the F do we still have new music being released on Fridays? This has been awful. Seven years ago, and then 30 years before that, new music always came out on Tuesday. And that was perfect. Landed right in the middle of the work week. You went out after work, you got the records, you listened to the records that night, you had something to talk about with your coworkers over the course of the rest of the week, you had enough time to compile a playlist for what you were going to listen to over the course of the weekend. I don't understand why we are still releasing music on Fridays. Like, we've had the experiment, I understand it was worth giving it a shot to sync up with like Germany and Australia and the other countries that are in different time zones that we're releasing music on Fridays. But can we just can we just collectively as an industry decide to go back to Tuesday? It was just so much better than it is right now. I'm going to ask a stupid question right now probably, but is is it because is it you, you pick a day like that because um you want to set expectations for people like okay, the release uh, of this you know, person, they release music on Tuesday, so I know for sure that the, the new X album's coming out on Tuesday. That's when I'm going to find it. Or Friday, um, as has been the case for a lot of artists um, lately. But is that why? Or, or is it just, I mean, why couldn't it just be 
whatever day. You know, just whatever day. I mean, it can yeah. be, but why? Why? Why would it? Why? Why are we looking at it like a set? So up until 2015, in the United States at least, it was always... And, 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 and I realize that's probably an, an ignorant question. I could probably come to oh, it's a totally, It's a totally valid question. Uh, the whole reason why it was on Tuesday, and, and this started uh, in 79, the record industry in the United States settled on Tuesday. The whole reason why they did Tuesday was they could ship the records to the stores over the weekend. And then the stores would have Monday to unpack everything and stock the shelves. So when everyone came in on Tuesday, there'd be new product on the shelves. And that's the way it was until 2015. Now, the industry decided in the United States to shift to Friday, primarily in response, at least they say, to piracy. Because a number of other countries would make the records available on the Friday before the Tuesday. And in those countries, People would rip the records and then post them on, you know, Emule or Kaza or, you know, Napster before it was defunct or, you know, on what CD or, or those kinds of services. So, so the argument from the industry, at least, was this is going to ultimately reduce piracy, right? Um, and they came to that conclusion basically 10 years too late to have any meaningful effect. <laughs> <laughs> like trying to find piracy in 2015 yeah. and changing your release dates uh, is the most typical American music industry response I can possibly think of. Um, and then it's just stayed that way this entire time. Now, Nate, you were touching on a thing, which I think is definitely true, which is artists are releasing stuff on Tuesday. Like, you always hear about new videos. Like I heard about a new Bedouin Sound Clash video today, right? And, and they're always releasing their their videos on Tuesday, but you don't get to hear it on the streaming platform, so you don't get to buy it in the store until Friday. And the reason why the artists, I believe, are releasing this stuff on Tuesday is because there are journalists who have the opportunity to write about it for people to read in a concurrent fashion. Like... You know, the, the, the rule in all of public relations is you don't do anything on Monday. You don't do anything on Friday. All your PR events that you're going to do are either going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. So you have some time to get a couple pops out of it. And Tuesday, obviously, being the most optimal day. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So what's going on here, guys? Why There's can't also... Can't we just move this to Tuesday? I agree with you. I like yeah. Tuesday. Tuesday was great. I have, I have, uh, all my only mostly dead stuff has been midweek, Tuesday or Wednesday, because Labor Day was in there. Um, we have shifted the pod schedule to Wednesday, uh, which I like. I don't know, listeners, if you care what day the pod comes out, let us know. I like Wednesday. I would, you know, be open to feedback on that. There's also, I've been reading on the side here, this uh, Vox article from 2015 that says, uh, Beyonce surprise dropping her self-titled album on a Friday as a piece of this trend as well. Um, I, I can't really speak to the veracity of that myself, but um, that definitely occurred. She she came out with that bomb ass record in 2015, um, and the whole idea with releasing it on Friday was actually to give in to the music pirates. Like the idea, surprise release completely blind 
no one was like necessarily really on board. I'm not even sure the label was really on board with the whole idea. Um, but it was kind of a novel thing to just like drop um, in the middle of what would have otherwise been a, a fairly dead period for like music news. And then the entire industry was like, you know what? I think Beyonce's right. We should just do this all the time for everything. Beyonce's right about a lot of stuff, but on this she is one, immensely correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, and she was correct the, for that record, like, like right that for was her a smart specific record. Yes, yes. Great. For all of us to do it, and I've done it myself on Friday, partially with the Bandcamp Friday, but even then I realized yeah. it's actually better to still drop it on Tuesday or Wednesday and then re-up on Friday, like drop Tuesday or Wednesday before a Bandcamp Friday. And then that way you have two, you have a perfect reason to push it again on Friday and be like, hey, my new record's available, you know, and um, I, that's what I'm planning for fight songs, actually. is So I'm planning Tuesday, November 1, and then that... You know, four days later, mm-hmm. three days later is a Bandcamp Friday. And so that's my release plan for uh, Fight Songs, an album I have coming out a month. An album we cannot wait for. And you should find it at MrFurious.Bandcamp.com. Yeah, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll, I don't know if we'll, we might do a surprise show or something. I, we haven't talked about how to cover it on the show. I mean, I do want to listen to it and talk about it, but we may not take up like a guest spot, kind of like we did. I don't know. We did that for my, uh, my beat tape a couple months ago um so it might show up in the feed but not take a a slot away from a guest anyway yes artist i don't know nate are you on board i say artist tuesday maybe wednesday travel no i i i i'm on board with that like i i like that at uh tuesday and then Specifically, what you were speaking of, how uh, the Bandcamp thing was like, you know, doing everything on Tuesday, getting it ready for Tuesday, and then just re-upping and saying, you know, Bandcamp Friday, here's my record. But, yeah, that makes sense. I think that the thing that's probably the most annoying to me when all this is that they didn't really change the publicity schedule. Like, they'll still have album reviews dropping on Tuesday and Wednesday, but you can't hear the album. So you're like reading this review and it's really rave and it's like really, really dope, but you can't immediately access the product that it's plugging. And I just don't know why as an industry you would invest in that kind of marketing when the product is not. That's, ex- that's what consumed. I'm thinking. That seems yeah, that's terrible. That's like some pre-internet bullshit. That's like 1980s <laughs> style. It's really dumb. I like, think. Whole no one is, is, is anybody talking to each other? Like, does <laughs> what? I don't get the whole, it. The whole promise of the information superhighway is that we could read the review and hear the music at the same time. Like That's somebody's gonna point. get paid. Somebody's getting paid not to ask yeah. that simple question. Like, so what we're writing about? Are people are gonna go out and listen to it? Like. Yeah, and there should be like a link in all these articles that you can click on and like Rolling Stone or Pitchfork or whoever enemy gets like a kickback if you actually buy the record based on the the record review. Like like it, there are a million ways that this can be better for everybody involved. Um I just do not for the life of me understand what what we're doing. Evolution is real and and Web 2 and Web 3 have made the internet terrible in so many ways. It used to be, it, it actually used to be better. 
Yeah, can you just give us Tuesday back, guys? Like, can you just give us Tuesday back? Like, you can keep your NFTs, just like give us <laughs> Tuesday back. Yeah, that would that's be our great. hashtag. We're give us Tuesday back. <laughs> yes. Join the movement. Hashtag give us Tuesday back. Hashtag Put your albums out. Give us Tuesday back. Well, that wasn't as controversial as you maybe thought it was going to be. Uh, well, I think I sold I sold it really hard, but uh, yeah, people have feelings about it. People do have feelings about it, especially who's, on the who's pro Friday. Yeah, now, now I'm thinking of songs like, you know, or bands. There's Tuesdays Gone. <laughs> that's uh, true. That Skinner's <laughs> Tuesdays that's true. Gone. <laughs> is it taking back? To, no, it's taking back Sunday. Taking back taking Sunday. Back is Sunday. The name of the email. So band. Tuesday is. Uh, that's a band, right? They did uh, uh, Voices Care. No, Thursday. Thursday was the band. I don't know. There's probably a Tuesday band too. Who knows? I'm gonna look it up. There's. <laughs> it's like guys. I do we have like, like a? Do we have like right internet at all? Tuesday band. Oh, yep. Yeah, it is. It is an email band. Voices Carry. That's what. That's what I was thinking of. Yep. There's a Tuesday band. There's a Thursday band. The possibilities for tribute bands are just, you know, amazing. You got Wednesday, yeah. a tribute to Thursday. And Amy just... Mann was a lead singer. <laughs> right. that, that I I knew and I I known that at one point, but I just re-realized it. And that is fucking pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, give us Tuesday back. That's, uh, that's one question down. I want it. I, I want it. it. Can we cover it, Rob? Do you have any other yeah, other? Yeah, uh... I'm good. I'm good. Okay, Nate, do you want to do a question or do you want to hear my question? Uh, Howie, let's hear your question because I don't know what okay. I, I feel like talking about. Okay. So my question for you guys and anyone listening who wants to, you know, email us the longplaylp at gmail dot com or uh, get at us on Instagram or Twitter. Longplaylp. Um, some the thing I want to this is an open ended question. And I want to hear you guys talk about musical call and response. Mm. Whether it's in your writing process, are you already thinking about call and response? In your production, you know, if you're making a beat or Nate, we're doing a remix, or whether it's in the mixing stage, and it could be at all these stages, but like how how often do you think about call and response? How does that inform your choices call and response oh and listeners of course we're talking about you know you might have a call being like a vocal melody and then a response being like a drum fill or a little guitar lick in the spaces where the singer is not singing that's just one simple example of musical call and response i i think i probably lean on it more than i should uh as a songwriter um and especially like the call and response that i usually write like in whatever band i'm in there will be two or three songs in the set list for the live show that will have an audience call and response thing in it um and i think i may be beating that horse to death <laughs> truthfully i don't think i'm like beating it like andrew wk bad but i'm certainly <laughs> relying on it more than dropkick murphy's which is unhealthy <laughs> I think. 
with the crowd participation specifically, like that. Yeah, version yeah. Of it. That that's when I when I think about like a deliberate call and response that doesn't happen as a result of some like happy accident during the composition process. Um, there's definitely like a a call and response bit that I've written for the audience in mind and for the live show in mind and whatever band I'm working on at the time, there will, there will inevitably be like two or three of those songs in the, in the set list, um, with an, with an eye to making the live show more entertaining. Yeah. I'm just thinking of specific, uh, you know, uh, situations where, and I, I can't think of really any, um, in terms of like vocals, maybe that would be a question for people who've contributed vocals to my songs. But in songwriting, I guess it, yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily thinking about it if it pops up or if it, it, it there's, um, there's a part of a song where it, it, it sounds like you could do that, then I'll, yeah, of course, do it. But I, it's not something that's in the forefront of my mind, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um, but I'm also coming at it more, uh, obviously, more of a, from an instrumentalist point of view, because I don't necessarily write lyrics or, or anything like that. I wonder, Nate, though, if you do it a lot, like almost subconsciously because all the different bands you like play keys in mm-hmm. you know you you know it's like in your bones and in your fingers by now you you don't play your busy stuff while the singer's singing right you let no. them sing right and the busier thing comes like separately right and that's a perfect example of all in response and you may even still be playing underneath the singer but like your notes will get busier. No. Your chords might get thicker when they're not singing. No, that's 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 absolutely right. I mean, that's a perfect example. That you, I'm glad that you brought that up because I mean that's stuff that I don't even think about. But yeah, I mean, um, uh, instrumentally, um, it, playing, is that a call and with, response though, or is it a fill? Well, I, you can consider it either. I'm sure. I mean, if it's uh, if it's an obvious, um, uh, I'm losing vocabulary here. Uh, nod to the melody or or something that they're singing. I would say it's a, a response. But if it's just a, you know, fancy little whatever, then yeah. You can call it a fill, but I, I think it can. The I, I think call response. I think that's the umbrella that covers a fill or a response. Yeah, I'm th- I'm thinking of call and response very broadly. Mm. Um, and in my listening, like Rob, I know a band uh, we both love, Two Skinny Jays. Mm. A lot of times, a lot of call and response. A lot of call. A lot of call and response. Well, sure. I mean, it, it, but many many levels stacked up, right? Like obviously mm. the vocal thing kind of like what you do tons of that even if you if you only listen to the instruments you'll notice a lot of times a foundation got your drums going 
like the bass and guitar maybe don't play at the same time, right? You'll get like a measure of bass and then a measure of guitar, mm. not over each other. Or maybe the bass is always going, but then the guitar and keys like alternate. Mm. You, you almost never, only at the peaks, do you hear like bass, keys, and guitar all playing at the same time. Most of the time they're, they're handing off to each other and shuffling it around. And it creates so much space in their music and so much interest as your ear kind of darts back and forth. I mean, obviously the vocals, but then under that, there's like something changing all the time and the focus is shifting. And I mean, I guess what, you know, what prompted this was uh, I did a track on the 404 that I was really uh, feeling in the headphones as I was working on it. But when I got it out and into the computer, I realized it didn't have any call and respond. It was a little bit boring and I'm going to have to go and like add something to it because mm -hmm. if you've got the headphones on and it's like it's loud and it's surrounding you the, like bass, it's got this huge like bass synth sound that's kind of glitchy and weird and mm -hmm. when it's surrounding you, it holds a lot of interest. But when it's on a speaker off to the side and you're not surrounded, all of a sudden it's kind of very one dimensional and there's no there's no pull and give, give and take, push and pull. Yeah. It's just always kind of the same. Um, so that it was really a call and response fail on my part that I'm going to have to find a way to correct. Well, well, I think like a, a core component of really good call and response when I'm thinking about it. And, you know, it, when you think about some of Two Skinny J's, you know, primary influences, like the one that comes up immediately for me is Run DMC. And I just think when you have two MCs that are playing off each other as opposed to just giving each other verses, um, the music does start to take that sort of um, impression naturally, right? Like a lot of, you know, a lot of those beats and those Run DMC songs carried a lot of the character of what the MCs were doing in a meaningful way. Like they were always like playing t and you know, that may be an, a product of the initial exploration of turntablism in a meaningful way. Like they literally have a call and response machine right in front of them. There are two mm -hmm. decks right in front of two them decks. and they're using that to synthesize a new sound. Um, and, and I just think like an essential component of any real call and response are two voices. And um, that is that is definitely present in like the 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 kind of two MC hip hop that, you know, started in Queens with with Run DMC. Yes. And to to the MCs and to the turntables, I would also add. You know, the, the samplers for a long time had very limited memory, so you couldn't have a bass line and a synth line and something else like all mm. playing at the same you time. You literally couldn't have. You two literally voices. could not. You had yeah. to have short little samples mm. and space them out to make a full beat that would just have a lot of space in it by the nature of the machine you were working on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I want to go back to to Howie. You were talking with that track that was kind of encompassing you and bass but if you said and listened to it on the side your side you know it was just one dimensional you know i guess you know what it what is the purpose of the track i mean we was it 
were you, were you wanting? I mean, was there a call and response that that was there when you're listening to it with the bass incumbent, you know, around you versus uh, when it's not? No, I, I I tricked myself into like not realizing I was missing call and response because the sort of mm-hmm. the surround. So the bass is in stereo, and then I did this thing. There's a like a sample and hold, like a random synth kind of bubbling away. Yeah. Okay. It's it's auto panned left to right, so like that's going on. So like in the headphones, it felt very full and interesting when you get that full stereo image. But when you collapse that down to mono and put it outside your head, all of a sudden, like maybe you could consider in a very broad definition that stereo stuff as call and response because that synth is like ping ponging. But when you when you get it in mono, you lose all that. And so all of a sudden it's just like drums, bass, synth just coming at you full, you know, no breaks. Yeah, just it's just all going the whole time. And so I think I'm going to have to like sidechain something maybe so like maybe some element comes in and like pumps that bass down and then let's go and comes back forward or something i don't i don't know i have to play i'll have to come up with something i get you i guess i mean i guess you know and i i guess right now i'm in the in the mindset like if it's meant to be listened to you know in, in front of or directly you know there or in headphones that's that's what it's meant to to be i mean if and if you mm. if, i don't know kind of f yeah you to whoever can't do it but you know that's that's i just i don't know that's kind of how i feel yeah yeah that's right that's now. definitely valid too and i listen to plenty of like ambient music and stuff that has no call and response so i'm not saying that like all music has to have it i think it's a very important piece of music especially like pop music or anything you know, you, you want to have kind of an appeal mm-hmm. right on the first sort of listen. Often, not always, but often. But in this case, like, I definitely want... I want this track to be more interesting the first time you hear it on your laptop or your phone or, I, I, or yeah. you know. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I do feel when I have a song that I feel is, like, pretty empty, that may be a songwriting mechanic that I... Uh, initially reach for um, in a way that I should probably you know find some find some different vocal sound, some uh, not not necessarily vocal I, it, it definitely do it with guitar too like um, and this is you know I play mostly punk rock so it's really really common to you know do an octave up with you know some more slides or something like that that is following the rhythm guitar like that's it, that is a trope that I abuse the absolute dog shit out of. <laughs> if it works, it works. And it can be like very simple. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's not the only one. I, I, I just think the, the important thing of a call and response is that the two things need to have different voices. And maybe that's the problem with this particular case, because the 404 is a distinct voice, like by itself. And, you know, Whereas, you know, um, you know, Jam Master J or, you know, Cut Chemist, for example, in um, Jurassic 5 uh, has two distinct voices on his right and his left hand. You're probably not going to have the same thing on a keyboard, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, one may be playing 
you know, ba in the bass clef and the other maybe playing in the treble clef, but it's one instrument and it's like one sound, it's one voice. Um, and so maybe, maybe in this particular case, it, it may be an opportunity for you to reach to a different synth uh, to provide that. that definitely, response, I definitely need to pull in response. something that's got a big contrast with, with what's mm. going on so far, I think. Um, just to kind of illustrate another point, you know, someone else who's I think is really great doing call and response in a solo context is uh, Jeff Tweedy. If you ever listen mm. to any, I mean, I love Jeff Tweedy. I love Wilco. And if you ever listen to any solo Jeff Tweedy, mm. he's amazing about when he's singing to play just like the chord, like just a down strum kind of on the chord. And then in the breaks between his vocal lines, he will play a much more intricate version of the of the riff or the chord progression or whatever and, and decorate it in all these kinds of ways. And it's really not a lot of times on record, maybe he's playing the decorated version all the way through, but there's other band members doing the fills. Mm. But when he's solo, he does the fills himself and he does it by stripping back when he's singing and then just doing like the normal guitar part when he's not singing and so he he subtracts and creates the call and response that way which is really amazing it's so elegant it's so beautiful and i one of my favorite jeff tweedy i'll send I'll, it's not an official release i'll send it to anyone who contacts me and asks for it but there's a live set from the university of chicago hmm. it's maybe 10 years old or something and uh, my favorite jeff tweedy live set Oh, wow. And it's just all over. He, he basically just does every song that way, and I love it so much. It's a very Richard Thompson move, right? Like, in the the flourish, whatever articulation that he's providing on the original yes. chord is like different every single time throughout the yeah. entire song, and it's just very musically in interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Okay, well, I feel good about that. Uh, final thoughts on call and response. Uh, use it. Uh, use watch it. your meeting yeah. and then settle down, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Try it. Experiment. Listeners, if you have any uh, questions about on response, uh, hit me up. I think, should we uh, should we take a break, guys, and uh, pick up next week with a couple more questions? Yeah. Sounds, sounds great. Good. Let's Perfect. do it. This, this has been Rob, Nate, and Howie on the Long Play Listening Party. Catch everybody next week. Later. Later. Yeah.